First you told us only through you could we know God And if we dared to question, he wouldn't spare the rod For you we worked the soil, for you we dug the moors For you we shed our blood and fought so many pointless wars Now you're trying to tell us there's nothing we can do You say the world around us belongs fairly to the few But about six billion people no doubt will agree This world is our home not your property, it's the commons, our right of birth. And you who would enclose the land all around the earth, our future is your downfall when we cut this ball and chain. You who've sacrificed the public good for your private gain. With our sweat we built the railroads, built cities on these shores, but because you own the money, you see that it's all yours. We laid the phone lines and the pipelines and then right before our eyes, you see these things are taxes paid for. You now will privatize. Privatize the hospitals, privatize the schools, privatize the prisons for all those who break your rules and preparing for the day. When all the wells run dry, you see you own the very rain that falls down from the sky, but it's the commons, our right of birth. And you who'd own the water, all around the earth Our future is your downfall Only cut this ball and shame You who'd sacrificed the public good For your private gain You claim to own the harvest With your terminator seeds You claim to own the genomes Of every animal that breeds You claim to own our culture And the music that we play And with each song that we download To your coffers we must pay You'd even own my name And you'd say it's for the best Maybe you'll let us on your radio And our songs can pass your test You own country, you own western You say you've given us a choice You may own the airwaves But you'll never own my voice It's the commons, our right of birth And you who'd own the music All around the earth Our future is your downfall When you cut this ball and chain You who'd sacrifice the public good For your private gain It's the commons, our right of birth you who would own everything all around the earth Our future is your downfall Only cut this ball and shame You who'd sacrifice the public good for your private gain The opinions expressed on corporations and democracy are those of our guests and the hosts, and not necessarily of the management of Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. And we are having a little extra fun today getting our guest on the line. So I'm going to take a little pause and make a few announcements while Annie is uh, trying to get the uh, our guest on the line. The Grassroots Institute recently did a letter to the city of Fort Bragg and the county supervisors of Mendocino looking to dedicate 10% of uh, whatever funding they get from the American Rescue Plan for three different projects here for photovoltaics in public buildings and for expanding the fast charging network uh, throughout the county for electric automobiles and uh, Spending some money, money on electric buses for the Mendocino Transit Agency. If you'd like to uh, uh, help with that and know more about it, contact Jim Schoonover at justjim at mcn.org. 
justjim at mcn.org. There's uh, state and federal money coming available for a 30% reduction in greenhouse gases by 2030. And uh, Mendocino could use or compete for some of those funding to, uh, to work on projects like that. So again, justjim at mcn.org for more information there. And we'll be talking today about a new book out just a month ago. But uh, a few months before that, there was another interesting book out that uh, we may host a future guest about, but that is called The Wealth Hoarders. And that's by Chuck Collins, who's been a guest on our program a couple times over the last decade or so. It's uh, a book that reveals not only the inner workings of the elaborate scheme to hide more than $20 trillion in wealth, but it offers readers a blueprint for reversing this uh, obscene inequality. That's a quote from Bernie Sanders, Senator Bernie Sanders. So more information about that book is available at uh, www.wealthhoarders.com. Again, wealthhoarders.com. So we're going to put on some music in the interim while we try and wrinkle out a, or iron out a wrinkle here yeah. or wrinkle out an iron, whatever it is. But. Yeah, I'm chasing Dennis around the block right now, and I hope to catch up with him. He is busy, but he we have double confirmed that he will be here. So we're going to have a little bit of Thomas Ganon while I chase him down. Thank you so much. Okay, so we are very lucky to have Dennis Kucinich with us with his dynamite new book, Division of Light and Power. Unfortunately, he's on his way to a campaign meeting. There was some kind of a schedule mix-up, and he's, he's really very wonderfully decided to be with us for 15 minutes because he can't afford to be with us at all. So we thank you for chipping out that time for us, Dennis. Welcome to KCYX. Thank you very much, and I, you know, I appreciate any time I can spend with you at all, so thank you. Oh, thank you. Well, uh, Steve Scalmanini, my co-host, had prepared a wonderful introduction about how wonderful you are, but we only have you for a few minutes, so we're going to skip most of that and just let people know that you are, in fact, running for mayor of Cleveland again, and you were mayor 40 years ago, 40-some years ago, and at that time, the youngest mayor of a large city in the country, and you've just come up right. with a book which is uh, dynamite, I have to say. It's the division, division of Light and Power, and it's all about the battle of private power over public power, and Cleveland was an unusual place because the customers had both. There was some on the public and some on the private. Would you like to explain that situation and why it was a sure. problem? And let, me, let, me clarify, sure. let me clarify uh, that's electric for, power for, for this the time. I, uh, Cleveland uh, has had uh, two power companies, one publicly owned, uh, Muni Light was called then, and the other one privately owned, the Cleveland Electric Illuminating Company, an investor-owned utility. Uh, they compete uh, in uh, more than a third of the city, door-to-door. Muni Light has uh, an advantage, it had an advantage at the time that uh, I, I was in uh, Cleveland Council and uh, then mayor, by having rates that were 20% low. Cleveland Electric Illuminating Company. So um, what people were not aware of at the time is that CEI, as it's known, Cleveland Electric Illuminating, was engaged in a pattern of corporate espionage and sabotage to try to put our municipal electric system out of business, including, by the way, 
creating blackouts on the immune system to make it appear that the system wouldn't function and they were the only working electric system in town. And so this has all been documented. The book is richly documented with evidence from uh, federal uh, filings at the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, the Justice Department, the um, uh, an antitrust lawsuit. So we really uh, had a battle royal in Cleveland for control of our electric system. And my role was to uh, uh, save it. And I, at, for a time, was the only one who was taking a stand on this. And it was really a, a very challenging moment in our city's history. And when I started to uh, uh, a campaign to save our municipal electric system, uh, a high-powered rifle shot missed my head by a fraction. So this is also about a mob-connected assassination plot that uh, deals uh, directly with the attempt to try to force the sale of Muni Light, because if I had been uh, taken out of the way, uh, that was going to happen instantly. Yes. So the book is, a, you know, it's a wild ride. It's all documented, and I was privileged to stand up for the people. Yes, uh, you get a lot of points for that. And it was, I should say, assassination attempts, plural, because it happened more than once. And mostly you were up against some magical accounting. I think you called it city accounting as a, a magician's coat with 40,000 pockets. And... <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, they were, they were covering up city deficits. And they were uh, the previous administration, which had a great credit rating, was uh, spending bond funds for general operating purposes, which is a big no-no, and secret deficit, which then I had. Uh, plus, the, uh, they were building up a, a bill for power uh, that they were purchasing from the private power company. Because, get this, the private power company lobbied the Cleveland City Council to stop the council from making repairs to Muni Lights generators so that they have buy power from the private company. And, of course, the private company charged Muni Lights triple the going rate, which, ran, which blew a hole in Muni Lights' budget. I mean, they, the ways in which they tried to undermine our municipal utility were, were legendary and manifest, and I chronicle all of it in the book. Yes, indeed. It's, it's quite a, a document for somebody that's interested in any kind of campaign. Also, uh, there was a lot of personal toll that it took on relationships and your health uh, in more ways than one. The stress uh, that created an ulcer, plus being shot at by uh, your powerful enemies. So, uh, we're, Steve and I are going to talk about your book <laughs> and let you get on to your campaign. Um, I'm, I'm really sorry there, there was this mix-up we were dealing with. Well, you know what? I'd love to have a discussion at another time and maybe bring the audience in on it. They would love really to talk like to you. To yeah, that. I, you know what? I'll do that. Well, uh, I'll be back, and we'll go into great detail. And, you know, I'm very – look, even a few minutes right now, thank you. Uh, okay. But I, I have to go to this event right now. And, yeah. and thank you for giving me this opportunity to introduce the topic. But let's, you know, let's settle on a time. We'll work it out. And I apologize that there was a scheduling mix-up, but we'll work it out, okay? Okay. Thank you for giving us the few minutes that you could not afford. And good luck with your campaign rally today. Thank you. All thank right. you. Bye-bye. Okay, as you heard, we got derailed here by some silly political campaign. I, I will mention, nonetheless, though, for anybody interested in supporting his campaign out there in, as, uh, for, for mayor of Cleveland, 
uh, something he served in for two years in the late 1970s. Uh, his campaign is online at uh, kucinich.com. That's K-U-C-I-N-I-C-H.com. And there's also a site uh, titled, that's www.reelectmayorkucinich.com. That's kind of cute, reelect. Yeah, right, yeah, (laughs) reelect. Yeah, that's true. So, Steve, I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about some of his credentials, and then um, I will get into the questions that I was going to ask him which I know the answers to because we read the book. Mm-hmm. But, it's, of course, you need to get it from Kucinich himself because he was there and he wrote it, and I'm really sorry this didn't work out. We were dealing with, uh, you know, an, an agent and a secretary, you know, this one and that, and they all agreed he would be on right now. And so I, I am appreciative that uh, even though the ball was dropped uh, somewhere in uh, somewhere in Virginia or L.A., I believe. Yeah, who knows? <laughs> I, I will say this: this is the um, the first time I've had a, had a cancellation. It's also the first time in 13 years on the air that we had to deal with two publicists, not just one. Oh, and yet it yeah, still I, slipped up. I so know. what the heck? But I, I do thank him for um, giving us the the few minutes that, that that has made him late to his next meeting. So. Yeah. Well, the the little intro was about uh, Dennis being an author and statesman. Uh, He served 16 years in the U.S. Congress and then ran for president not once but twice. And uh, for one of those runs, which was the election of 2008, and I think it was very late 2007, I think it was in the winter, that he he was actually scheduled to speak right here in Mendocino County. He was going to speak up at the gymnasium at the college. And uh, or maybe that's where it was moved to after it had to go um, uh, be done virtually. So um, uh, so I I think his brother got sick at the time. And so he had to cancel the live performance. But he instead was on the video at the gym. there. That's the second time we had to cancel Dennis to here in Mendocino County. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we're not hot on that one. At least this time it's not a family tragedy. This time, you know, he's back on. He's back being a political Dennis Kucinich again. So well, he's been complimented in recent years by The Washington Post magazine, calling him the, uh, the future of American politics. And uh, Rolling Stone referred to him as ahead of his time, something I certainly agree with. And, uh, and Ralph Nader has favorably compared him to uh, the legendary, legendary muckraking journalist Lincoln Steffens, a name I need to learn about. I know a few other famous muckraking journalists, but I don't know that name. But his new book, is, as uh, we mentioned, is called The Division of Light and Power. And that's about Cleveland's struggle to uh, save the public power part of the uh, public electric utility which serves part of the city uh, from being taken over by the private uh, power company and that uh, that melds his uh, his writing excellent with uh, just incredible number uh, of or incredible undisputable documentary details and such of the whole episode back there in that time frame and uh, he finally put it all together in uh, in a book and he does it with his, uh, you know, the moral code that he follows, and it's just uh, beyond beyond corruption. So we can maybe pick that up another time with uh, Mr. Kucinich. Okay, and again, we want to apologize to the listeners. You got to hear Dennis Kucinich for 10 minutes instead of an hour <laughs> because there was a conflict with his schedule, and he, he did come on to tell you all hi and uh, give you a few tantalizing um, uh temptations to read his book so one of the things we were going to ask him is why he was going full circle he started his career 
I think when he was 21, interested in politics in Cleveland, and then became mayor uh, when he was 31, which at the time in the 70s, that was the youngest mayor in the country, if you talked about a city of any size. And so now, uh, well, after that, he, he was the mayor. He was on the city council. He was mayor. And then he had some kind of a city court position, which was also s- sort of powerful. Um, the mayor uh, in Cleveland was more like what you would call a city manager because he, while he was mayor of Cleveland, he was also dealing with the president of the city council and they were at odds over the who should control the uh, customer's electricity. Should it be powerful corporate interest or should it be the people's utility? And that was what turned out to be a deadly fight. There were several assassination attempts against him. That's how deadly it was. He was, uh, when he first got on, he was asked to play ball. And uh, But no, he came from a poor family. He remembers having their electric lights turned off for non-payment. And he really uh, related more to the general population than downtown business. And so he was very stubborn about that. And in the end, he, he succeeded, but not without great cost. So that's a lot of what the book is about. Uh, so then he went on to be a, a member of Congress representing his area for years. They finally got rid of him by redistricting him out of Congress. So here it is, 2021, and he's running for mayor of Cleveland again. And so that's too bad we couldn't ask him why. That was the first question. He doesn't actually say in his book why he's running again. So our uh, listeners, you can kind of speculate on that. So uh, some of uh, the people in our listening audience will remember uh, when Kucinich actually ran for president and he ran uh, on a ticket of establishing a instead of a Department of Defense, which was renamed from the old more aptly named Department of War, he was going to start a Department of Peace. And so he, he got the peace community behind him on that. Um, but never made it to, you know, the nomination, of course. Um, But an interesting thing in his second life as mayor of Cleveland, if he wins, uh, he wants to promote a civic peace department. So this is his way of addressing an issue of the day, which is police reform. And he was seeing as part of the civic police not police, excuse me, Civic Peace Department, bringing on a lot of social worker and community worker uh, kind of people to assist with law enforcement in ways that didn't involve the usual training of, you know, learning how to shoot and learning how to cuff people and uh, things that we need. But we also need to cover uh, other bases, too, before it gets to that, because a lot of people have problems that aren't really criminal. They're social. So that was his one of his platforms for running. I found it interesting, um, first, learning about the subject that uh, that the city of Cleveland was provided, that the power, electric power, was provided by two different agencies, depending on what part of Cleveland you're in. So they, uh, you know, they, they, I don't know if they duked it out before the time he was mayor, but the, yeah, uh, the, the private utility uh, and, and a lot of friends on the inside were trying to take over the public utility. And so that struggle is, uh, is what the book's about in his role in it. Yes, uh, that's a, that was an, a, an unusual thing about Cleveland is that most cities have 
they have a utility that is either publicly owned like Ukiah or they have a corporate utility that they pay one or the other. Cleveland had both. Some of the customers had the, the city utility and some had the corporate. And that's set the stage for a bloody fight because the business interests that own the, the corporate utility wanted to own it all. And, of course, their bottom line was what was driving them rather than service to the community. So that was a very bitter struggle. And that's what Dennis Kucinich's new book is, The Division of Light and Power. Uh, that's what it refers to. And it's kind of a double meaning there because by light and power, you mean understanding and um, knowledge and force right and it also means electricity you know so it's a, a pun there for or a double meeting uh, so yeah and they're both available at your local independent bookstore here in mendocino county <laughs> <laughs> one reason we wanted to do this was we thought that this would resonate heavily with people here in northern california who have been fighting pacific gas and electricity uh, uh, for affordable and safe service for ever from the beginning of Hetch Hetchy to, I don't know, it's, it's been a long fight and it seems like that the state regulatory agency, the PUC, was always on, um, on the, the side of the corporate-owned utility on Pacific Gas and Electric. And then with the fires, then we've had the blackouts and the, the scandal of money that was not put into maintenance but instead was distributed to their shareholders and their board members and all that kind of thing. So I think people here are familiar with exactly what Dennis Kucinich was looking at when he started his big fight in Cleveland to keep the, the public utility. So there was this fight where every day, every hour of every day, it seemed like, he was trying to keep... CEI, which was the corporate utility, from strangling the little public utility to death. And the list of dirty, um, dirty tricks was so long, I tried to write them all out so that we could ask Dennis about, you know, some of them at least, because it is crazy the things they thought of. One that I had never thought of before that CEI did to the Cleveland customers, and maybe it happens in other places, is that you go right up about your, your day, turning on your lights and turning them off and the radio and everything, and then the, you do the same thing every day, but all of a sudden, doing the same thing, your electric bill goes way up because the company has increased the voltage without you knowing it. So you don't think you're doing anything different, but you're using a lot more electricity. Have you ever heard of that, Steve? I had never heard of that. Uh, the, the net result back in those days, which is, of course, when all uh, electric lighting, well, most of it, was uh, incandescent. Uh, and there was also fluorescent lighting of that particular era, but way before LEDs and things that we're familiar with uh, today. Um, but incandescent lighting, it would burn a little brighter, but you wouldn't necessarily notice it if the, if the voltage was increased some. But, in fact, you'd be using more electricity. And that was one of the, one of the uh, stunts they pulled back in that era to drive up their profits. Okay. And then another thing that we have in common is, like, in Ukiah, we have a public utility. But guess whose lines we use? Well, <laughs> in order to get it here from, from afar, 
like the uh, the hydroelectric plant up in the Sierras. It has to go through transmission lines that are owned by PG&E. Okay, so the same thing was happening in Cleveland. They had their public utility, but they had to go through the larger infrastructure. And by law, um, they were supposed to turn them on when, when their little power went down. and They were supposed to be then connected to the larger power, the CEI, and then from CEI to the national grid so that they would never run out. You know, that was the law. But that's not what happened. The uh, CEI used every opportunity they could to just disconnect the public utility, and they did it in a, a lot of different ways. Um, uh, it, it's like I tried to make a list of it all. One was uh, they would trigger blackouts, and their favorite time to do that was on Christmas. So... <laughs> So they've done this several times uh, on Christmas, plus, you know, the rest of the time when they felt like it. So they could trigger a blackout, and then the little public utility, the customers were cut off. And the minute that happened, then the the CEI, the corporate utility, would start calling the customers of the public utility and start trying to persuade them to switch services. Because, see, you're, you're subscribed to a totally unreliable, unworkable situation. Why don't you just switch? So that was um, one of their dirty tricks. And, and then making it on Christmas made it even more fun. And so then sometimes they would trigger a blackout and then CEI would go into action and try to be, get put back on like they were supposed to be. Uh, so then finally, after dragging their feet and letting the blackout last for, you know, till everybody was freezing and miserable, um, finally reconnect them and then overcharge to get them connected again. So that was another thing on the dirty tricks. Um, I don't know if it might take more than the whole hour to read all the dirty tricks, but we'll go through some of them. Um, the other thing is that the, the equipment that the little company had, the, the public company had, would, of course, need repairs, but it had to go through the city council. And as I mentioned before, the council is headed up by the council president, and the mayor is actually more like, I would say, a city manager. So the city manager, in this case, Mayor Kucinich, would go to the council and say, okay, please pass this section right here because we need to get these generators fixed and this fixed over there and that boiler fixed and here's the bill and, uh, you know, approve the money for it because we have to. And we have it and we have to. And then they wouldn't do it. The council would refuse to approve the money to keep the public utility going. So so why would they do that, you ask? Well, because the downtown, downtown interests were powerful enough that they more or less owned the city council members. And uh, Kucinich found that out when he was on the city council right away. He was asked to play ball. I mean, they even talked like that. It, it was just, it was crazy. But he was a principal person and um, absolutely refused to back down. He's very stubborn, and uh, he, he paid for it in a lot of ways. We'll, we'll have time to get into that, too. But they would prevent the repairs. Uh, one time, actually, Kucinich's little brother got on the council at one point when Kucinich himself was mayor. So they had the two of them working together. Uh, the, the council members, of course, were bought and paid for by the, the interests, the business interests. So the little brother was on there, baby Kucinich, 
and uh, there was a time for an important vote about selling uh, the 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 city's utility to the corporation and uh, they they needed to take a vote on that and so they they busted uh, Kucinich's little brother on some made-up infraction and suspended him from the city council during the time of the vote so that was that was another dirty trick that I thought was kind of complicated and interesting I hadn't heard of before Throughout all this, there was um, phony paper trails. By law, the corporation had to connect the city utility. That's why they were allowed to operate, because they worked in co cooperation with, with other entities. That's why they were allowed to do this in the first place. I think our listeners all know about how corporations started, and it was for to benefit the people. So they had to pretend that they were cooperating, which managed to just delay things, draw them out and out and out, uh, which was another tactic, which probably we're all familiar with. But they would also uh, invent phony paper trails to sh illustrate how they're cooperating, you know, so, so they could produce these on demand, you know, letters with dates and documents and stuff. But um, these are actually manufactured. And so that was another, the phony paper trail. Yet another dirty trick. There was a budget sleight of hand where they would overestimate expenses and underestimate the income. And in that way, it would look like the little public utility wasn't doing very well at all when actually it was doing just fine. It, it delivered a meaningful service at an affordable price and the people did pay for it and it would have worked. So that was... I'm sort of crossing off this long list here. <laughs> uh, sometimes they wouldn't collect the money just to make it look like less. Um, and I think uh, I did mention when we had Dennis on for, you know, the first 15 minutes that uh, he had referred to city finances as a magi magician's coat with 40,000 pockets. And I don't know where the figure 40,000 came from, but that's what it really seemed like. Uh, he also did a lot of other clean up when he was there uh, as mayor of Cleveland. The book is about the electric utility and the fight over uh, a public right to have their utility plus privatization. Um, but he did a lot of cleanup of a lot of other stuff. Uh, the downtown interests that were so interested in the, the owning the public utility were interested in owning just about everything else too. And one of the things that uh, Dennis said about the, this was that uh, when corporations look at the town and the, the taxes that people pay, they look at it as corporate assets. Don't you love that, Steve? That's the... <laughs> that's the term he uses for them. Corporate yeah. assets. Yeah. Whatever, that's... They can get, get their, whatever they can get their hands on, they will. Yeah. They were milking this thing. Yeah. So they would sell or lease a lot of assets to uh, support a bulging mid-management. Uh, it was pretty amazing. The first day that on the job, uh, Kucinich goes and he does an unannounced inspection of the whole city hall. And that chapter is pretty funny, actually. Um he found he fired a lot of people that were paid to rewrite reports. So this was just largesse for political cronies. You could have this 
paid job with the city for doing nothing. Somebody wrote the report, well, will you go through that, okay? So that was uh, one of the things he did. He also found, uh, he found a couple people in the office closet smoking weed. Instead, <laughs> he found somebody else doing their nails while there was a whole line of customers waiting. Excuse me, I don't like to call citizens customers, but a whole bunch of citizens waiting for services that they paid for. And, you know, nobody really doing anything. So he fired a lot of people that day. Um, and then he went on to uh, clean up some other stuff, too. The, in addition to the slavering after the utility, uh, they slavered after everything else, too. They wanted to milk the city for all it was worth. They got, uh, they got their officials that they owned. Along with the media, I might add, they would take out ads in the paper and the radio station, so the, the the media would back up whatever the council people said, and they would devalue real estate. Prime real estate would be undervalued, so that the taxes had to be made up by the poor working stiffs of Cleveland and the school districts. the 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 value of the school districts plummeted along with the value of these prime real estate. Uh, They just couldn't pay for a decent education system uh, the way Cleveland was being ripped off. So that's a really sad part of it. And then there was uh, tax abatements. All these big buildings and these big companies, they would get tax abatements. And you see that word, the, the tax abatements, you see that throughout the book too. And there again, this is money that goes to the schools and services that, that people really need. And the people end up having to have increased taxes to pay for uh, insufficient services. And so this is all stuff that that um, Dennis Kucinich, during his time as a mayor, was cleaning up. And I'm, I'm, it's, it's pretty remarkable because... I do want to talk a little bit about the cost of being a principal politician in a case like this. Uh, first of all, it cost him two marriages. <laughs> uh, he uh, he uh, completely blames himself for this. He says the, the wives he had were lovely, intelligent, cooperative, helpful people trying to support him and in every way at every moment. And he didn't have time to even maintain them. He was never home. He was always busy responding 24 hours a day. And so that was really kind of a terrible sacrifice that that he ended up making. I, I think he's remarried now and is running again. And hopefully for the new Mrs. Kucinich, <laughs> he has learned some lessons about the importance of maintaining your, your relationships. He did respond immediately to family crises. Um, if something bad happened, which often did in his family, he had a family with lots of problems, he would uh, drop what he was doing and go to the hospital or whatever was required. But it had to be emergency. And of course, a spouse isn't an emergency. You know, she's a spouse. <laughs> so that was one thing. Um, the other thing, the constant stress, uh, that backfired on him too because uh, he ended up with a, um, a life-threatening case of bleeding ulcers and had to be hospitalized and then practically tied to his bed so he wouldn't go running out the door to campaign again or um, after all of that. So that, that almost killed him. The ironic thing, at another price he paid, the I- ironic thing is that 
case of the attack of bleeding ulcers that almost killed him turned out to, in fact, save his life because he was due to be the leader of some kind of parade that day. And it turns out that that, they, that was a planned assassination attempt on him, and he was in the hospital instead. I don't know why I'm laughing. It's not funny. But uh, he was, there was uh, three, at least three attempts on him, plus um, a Molotov cocktail that was thrown at his house that fell short. But somebody had a bad aim, I guess. But the people that shot at him, their aim was pretty good. He escaped... Uh, just out of luck, pretty much. Uh, one was a shot into his house in a, a, where he was sitting, uh, you know, like seconds before and got up out of the chair for some reason. Uh, his security, the FBI and other people that were trying to keep this from turning into a murder were telling him, stay away from the windows, you know. <laughs> he was uh, made to wear a bulletproof vest. He had all of this stuff going on. Um, so there was three assassination attempts that I know of in the book. Um, one of the hit people actually was interviewed by the media many, many years later when it, when it was probably no longer uh, a case of where he would be in trouble legally for admitting this. So it was quite. It was more recently that the hitman came through and said, "Well, yeah, I, I was uh, hired to do it for eighty thousand dollars." And the the interviewer, of course, is going, "Why? Why? Why? You know, why would they do that?" He didn't say, "Why would you do that?" Why would they do that? And the answer was, because Dennis Kucinich was preventing a lot of people from making a lot of money. What do you think, Steve? That's the usual reason. It's, uh, you know, profits or less profits is the big motivator behind a lot of assassinations. If you follow what's going on in some of the third world countries, uh, that's, you know, plans are made, investments are made, and if someone gets in the way of a project, your life is at stake. That was just in the news yesterday. Uh, I think it was about Berta Caceres, uh, assassinated for leading a campaign against a building of a dam in, uh, was it Honduras? I, forget well, I believe I believe so. Yeah, and, uh, right. but it, but it was you know it was finally in, in reported in the news that the uh, company behind the dam was losing some money on the deal because they had made plans prematurely on, uh, on betting on the, on the come as it as the saying goes, uh, and when it wasn't working out, they went after her, so. So if you have people in public office that are fighting for the right thing, boy, shore them up because they're they're literally risking their lives for you in in those two ways. You know, the stress on their own physique and um, the fact that they have some powerful people angry at him. Uh, so there's some lessons in this book about being a politician and maybe we can touch on a few more of them. Uh, one thing that I took away from the book is that he had to be really smart, not smart himself, but smart enough to find out who was. And so he went out and got some brilliant help on some really difficult systems. And I'm sorry that we don't have him here right now to explain some of that. Let me just remind our listeners, if you're just tuning in, um, there was a conflict in, in uh, Dennis Kucinich's 
calendar and instead of being here for the hour which was what was arranged he was here for 15 minutes and was uh, had to be late to the next uh, thing he was going to to give us those 15 minutes so he kind of compromised for us uh, so I'm, I'm apologizing to you all for giving you a book report instead of an <laughs> interview. But, um, okay, so continuing on with the life of a politician, one of the things that Kucinich did do was to go out and get brilliant help on difficult systems. Otherwise, he couldn't have done what he did, which was to save the public utility in a town of the size of Cleveland where it had multiple powerful uh, cooperating, I should say, conspiring interests. So he needed someone who knew all the technicalities of the electrical system, how it worked, you know, how it got fixed, what it's connected to in, in so many different ways. So he found somebody that knew that and was friendly to him instead of the business interests and wanted, was going to give him the straight scoop on how that worked. He found somebody who was an expert on the legal system, a, a lawyer who knew all about how interlocking directorships because the, the corporate utility, of course, worked hand in hand with uh, all kinds of other legal entities, the city and the bankers and law firms and stuff. So it had to be somebody else who was an expert in that and was willing to be on his side on that. So that, that was pretty interesting. He was smart to do that. And, and he had to be smart himself to even understand those. Uh, the other thing he was smart in, in the people that he picked is that they were on his side. They didn't double-cross him ever, which they could have really done easily if they were working for the big guys and, were, and, you, and could be bought off. So um, I, thought, I found that a really interesting thing for people to put in their hat, that you have to, have to know how it all works. And no one person does. So... I, I was impressed by that, maybe more than some of the things that were more more prominent in the book is that one in particular. Also, uh, Ralph Nader jumped into it because he's a, the consumer's advocate, the, the number one consumer advocate there is maybe. And he understood that whole thing inside and out. And when he jumped in to help uh, Dennis Kucinich with the endless battle over the utilities. Uh, that, that helped him a lot. That helped him with uh, you know, getting the public attention that he needed that was crippled because of the way the media was bought off by these very same aforementioned corporate interests. Uh, something else that he did that I thought was pretty interesting was he seemed to be a bit of a Bernie. He kind of moved between the two parties. Uh, he, when he ran uh, for the Cleveland mayor, I believe he had a Republican running against him and a Democrat. And so he was kind of maneuvering between the two. I mean, he, you'll see him on Fox News. I mean, <laughs> he's, and then you'll see him with Ralph Nader. So he's, he's not trying to be a party, although I think, you know, when he's running for president, it would have to be as a Democratic candidate, which obviously didn't work. But that hasn't been his style. It's been more apolitical. He would, he would try to get along with people. That's uh, not always going to work, but he did always try. And I think it paid off for him in a lot of ways because he had a lot of support across the board from uh, different ethnicities in Cleveland. 
uh, like there are nationally. There was a lot of ethnic groups, and he would go to all the little fairs and stuff, you know, whichever Polish or Catholic or uh, thing was going on, he was there. And um, also there was some some problems with racism because some of the people on the take of course were black and so he would go up against them and be called a racist and have to deal with that that was another really unpleasant thing to have to to uh, defend yourself against that someone like Dennis who feels he's really in touch with everyone um, he, he had a really good compliment at the end though because uh, one of the first black mayors of a big city in the United States was Carl B. Stokes, who was uh, mayor of Cleveland at one time, before Dennis. And he actually sided with the corporate utility at the time. Um, but then since then, he's given uh, Dennis a letter, that a public letter signed by uh, Stokes, is now a judge, but by Carl B. Stokes' judge, complimenting, admiring um, Kucinich for keeping the faith and fighting for it what was right the whole time against all odds. Oh, just an incredible thing to do to be that stubborn and that principled. And that uh, Stokes compliments for him for it and says that he only wishes that he himself uh, would do something that brave and right, you know. So I think he got uh, totally, um, what would you call it, uh, forgiven or understood finally finally understood in the end vindicated thank you that's the v word that's what i want <laughs> the other v. so i know he was very happy to have that letter a photograph of that letter is in his book by the way um and we are talking about the book um by dennis kucinich it's uh, the cleveland struggle for public power it's the, called the division of light and power and it's uh the the anatomy of cleveland's struggle for public power and I consider it not just that I consider it a citizen's handbook on how to do all this stuff so I think there's a lot of takeaways in there and I'm starting to lose my voice here so Steve you're going to say something about this too um, I don't think we have any calls because uh, I haven't seen the board light up. We were expecting... Well, we haven't given out the number, but uh, yeah. you know we have time for, for a little bit of open lines here. Anybody want to comment on uh, today or any other topics that are on your mind right now related preferably to the kind of topics we address here on Corporations and Democracy? The number here is 895-2448. And once again, we do apologize for our guests only being available for, it was about until a quarter after the hour. And as I joked early in the program, that, that was after going through two publicists to arrange this. So I can't explain that one. That, but, that uh, isn't why, though, because we did double check with one of them. So, you know, it's been triple yeah. check, but anyway. So uh, 895-2448 if you'd like to uh, comment or ask any questions here for us. And we do have about, well, about uh, 11 minutes left in the program. So if you'd like to call in, uh, feel please feel free. By the way, Dennis Kucinich was very contrite about the mix-up, and he said that he does want to come back on KCYX and give us a full hour sometime, so maybe some other programmer will be able to pick it up, um, or maybe we will next month or something. But Well, maybe maybe after he's not so busy, uh, <laughs> on how things, I think the primary or the, the election is September 14th, same date as the recall here in California, mm. so... That must be uh, one of the uh, several regular dates for elections uh, throughout numerous states. 
Good idea. Let's call him when he's through campaigning. <laughs> You can tell us how it went. Yeah. A little about the book and then, the, yeah, how he's doing. In the... Another thing that he really lays out in, in the book um, is these funny projects that they come up with sometimes. That uh, There was something about a, a jet port that the powers that be wanted to put on Lake Erie. Yeah, on the lake. Yeah, on the lake. And it was going to cost a lot of money. And it would be money for everybody. Oh, my goodness, the bankers would make a lot of money out of it, the constructions, the engineers, the architects, the, and I don't know who was driving the jets. I guess they would, too. It was, uh, it was an enormous toy. And this is just one of several such examples in the book. <clears throat> but so he went to one of his experts again, a geologist who was on his side, and, you know, the side of the people, when I say his side, and did a study of it and went and looked at the the substructure of where this jet port was going to go. And it wasn't anything that would support a jet <laughs> or a port. And so so he had them this, this full, detailed, technical, um, righteous report to hand to everybody. And that, that ended that. So remember that if you're running for office. Um, he had the sense to look before he leapt uh, on that particular project. Good for him. Yeah, all of these big projects, they sound like candy, you know, big toys. They all sound mm -hmm. very cool, you know. <clears throat> A lot of them are collusions between banks and architects and bondsmen and engineers and local media and local officials. Not to mention the mob. So we didn't talk about the mob. He took on the mob, and that's uh, where we got some of those assassination attempts I was talking about before. In Cleveland, the mob was involved in vice, not necessarily in um, uh, tax abatements and stuff like that. They, they were into um, gambling and prostitution and... Uh, vices, basically, that's where you would find the mob. <laughs> and so um, there was a carnival that ran some illegal gambling. And at the very beginning of his office, someone showed up to hand him a suitcase and turned around to leave. He opened the suitcase before the person had gotten back in the car and it was full of money. <laughs> and so he just took it and, you know, quickly threw it back to the guy. Uh, he, he ran into this guy later when it came up to approve the license for this carnival uh, that involved this illegal gambling. And it just gets approved uh, automatically, usually, and only not with Dennis. Mm -hmm. Now, in his book, it's interesting. He doesn't talk about prostitution other than to say it was one of the mob-controlled uh, things that were going on around town. He doesn't say that he tried to fight the prostitution, but he did fight the gambling. And that was, um, when he shut down the gambling, I think that's what almost got him killed. Mm, that would do it. Uh, I can't help but think, though, that uh, you know the other interests were, if they didn't actually pull the trigger, themselves or try to, uh, they probably knew about it and maybe <clears throat> approved of it <clears throat> because they also were very interested in keeping their money. So there's some, there's some pretty important takeaways in the book if you're interested in politics. 
of the big price to pay for taking on a 24-hour-a-day job working for the people. It does exact its toll. Um, I think if you read this book, you might be able to be forewarned and do some things differently and not not end up uh, with some of the problems that he had, um, like the, the stress also, perhaps. But uh, how you would avoid, you know, attracting very powerful enemies, that I don't know. That, that, that I'm not sure that you could actually... That You, you just have to deal with that in your own ways. He did have... Uh, protection from the FBI and uh, the police department, uh, which was secure. It was now his police department. So he, he did manage to take steps to protect his his life, other than um, he, he didn't manage to keep from stressing himself out, to, which almost killed him. So... So this the book we're talking about again is the the division of light and power, and it's Dennis Kucinich's new book, <clears throat> and it's the struggle for public power versus privatization, and I think we really did see that here the same thing here in Northern California. I, should, I said did like it was past tense. It's not. We're still we're still fighting a uh, um, that that same fight here with the the big private company that runs our we should be a public utility the latest move on that i saw it was uh oh within the last month and it was uh one of the um, public-minded organizations uh sending out an email asking people to uh submit comment to the puc because uh pg&e and the, the private utilities wanted to up the uh rates for solar users to use the grid at all. They wanted to, uh, to charge more for that. And that was an issue, as I said, that was three or four weeks ago, I think I saw that. Don't know what the result was, but that's the kind of thing that you'd expect big business, big business to maneuver for behind the scenes uh, you know, with the government in Sacramento. They can get away with it. And that was exactly what they were trying to do just weeks ago. So. Yeah, that's the same uh, same thing that Kucinich's book is about, exactly. <clears throat> the other thing that, that you really feel the brunt of, because he puts everything in the book, is how relentless it is. They just, they never stop squeezing. It's like a bow constrictor. Um, every minute of every day, it's, uh, it's just relentless. The fight is there all the time. Uh, they force the city into default. And this was all perfectly phony. The city had the resources to pay a manufactured debt that the corporate utility just made up, said, you owe us all this. And, and basically, you know, it's like for uh, years to come, stuff that hasn't been paid because it hasn't been done yet. You know, sounds like the post office, what they've done to the post office here. Uh, all kinds of gimmicks like that. And they managed to force uh, the city into default because they wouldn't allow the city to raise the money it could to pay the bills. It had the, the right stuff it needed to um, raise the money. To, and so they put it on the ballot. The people voted to raise the money to pay the bill to prevent the corporate utility for defaulting on the city. And the, the corporate utility went ahead anyway, despite that very clear declaration by the people that they wanted to bail out their utility, they wanted to keep it. Despite that, the squeezing continued. They didn't, they didn't lose a beat, not a beat. The arrogance of it is breathtaking. 
And I, I think if you read this book, then you'll get a kind of a feel for the long haul you're in when you take on any battle, probably any battle. We're getting close to the end of uh, our hour here. And I, uh, another apologize uh, uh, again from me and Steve and from Dennis Kucinich, too. He felt bad about it and did, in fact, give us 15 minutes that made him late to the, the next thing he was supposed to be, which was a campaign thing. Which I, they'll get some mileage out of that, I guess, his opponents for mm -hmm. being late. But he did give you the 15 minutes. We thank him for that. He's, he is going to come back when it can be done. He said that he tried to uh, get this, the time changed in that. A request never made it to us. We did not. We did not get that. So, unfortunately. Well, anyway, if you want to see what he's up to, you could have a look at his website. That's kucinich.com, and also one called reelectmayorkucinich.com. And I think we're down about 30 seconds. So this has been Corporations and Democracy uh, for July 8th. Sorry about the uh, mix-up, and we will be back uh, next month, our usual time on second. Uh, Thursdays, the August 12th, and for other information about the issues that we deal with here on Dutch Corporations and Democracy, you can have a look at www.thealliancefordemocracy.org. Not your property, it's the commons, our right of birth, and you who would enclose the land all around the earth. This has been a production of KZYX Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ Willits and Ukiah 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM, Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. You can check out our website at kzyx.org to find more content like this, and consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thanks for listening. These things are taxes paid for, you now will privatize.